We're going to pick up our Bibles. Hopefully there will be a, a Bible either on your chair, near your chair, or under your chair. And we are going to turn to Exodus, Exodus chapter 15. I think it's on page 57 on the black, uh, in the black church Bibles. Exodus uh, chapter 15 and reading from verse 22. We've been uh, looking uh, this year at this book of Exodus. We returned last uh, Sunday. Uh, God has uh, delivered his people from uh, their slavery in Egypt. Uh, he's uh, brought them through the waters of the Red Sea in which he's judged Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Uh, and last Sunday we saw uh, God's people, the whole company of God's people singing praises to God, uh, recognising the greatness of uh, God in the salvation of his people and the judgment of his enemies. I'm going to pick up uh, the story uh, then in Exodus 15. I'm beginning to read at verse 22. This is... God's word. Uh, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, uh, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Uh, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled. Uh, and uh, against Moses saying what shall we drink and he cried to the Lord and the Lord showed him a log and he threw it into the water and the water became sweet there the Lord made for them a statute and a rule and there he tested them saying if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his uh, commandments and keep all his statutes I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, uh, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. Uh, they set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came into the wilderness of Sin, which is called Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my Lord or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, Our evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, uh, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we 
Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron uh, spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall, take, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let not uh, one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And uh, Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it each as much as, it, uh, as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, uh, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. Uh, and when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Uh, bake uh, what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to keep it till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that uh, they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna for 40 years till they came to a habitable land. 
they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is a tenth part of an ephath. So reads God's short word. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Lord God, we rejoice that you should speak to such as us. Now we pray, open our ears and eyes. Lord, warm our hearts uh, that truly uh, we would not merely like and love, but obey and bow ourselves and our wills and our hearts to your word, which is true and sure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to imagine this morning a boy, a boy who's born into a, a home where his parents despise him. Unloved, malnourished, abused, treated as a slave. And the boy quickly learns to trust no one. To fear every time he hears his dad calling his name, to, to avoid his mother at all costs. And then one day, a, a, a loving uncle, who's known about the boy's plight and has worked with the authorities for years to address the boy's plight, he, he comes and he takes the child away to his own home in the countryside. And along with his wife, he showers love and affection on him. The boy now sleeps in a comfortable bed in a, in a room of his own instead of sharing the kitchen floor with uh, a dog as he used to. He, he's now fed with healthy food and lots of treats. His aunt and un uncle, they spend time with him, teaching him uh, how to read, how to write. But out of habit, still the boy, boy's body freezes every time he hears his name called in the house. Still at times the boy hides away, doubting that his aunt and uncle truly love him. Convinced his dramatic change in circumstances, surely it cannot possibly be because uh, they're acting out of love for him. Surely any day, any moment, the real reason why they brought him into their home will be revealed and his life will again be bitter, even more bitter than ever. Mealtimes in the home are now regular. Uh, yet, sometimes, as the boy's tummy rumbles while he's waiting for his lunch, he wishes he was back with his mum, who'd give him a few puffs of, his, of her cigarette to take away the hunger at times. Can he really trust when the next meal will come? God has delivered his people, his children, out of bitter circumstances. Out of those circumstances of slavery to sin, and God has brought his people to live with him. And yet at times, we struggle to trust him. We doubt his goodness. This story of Exodus that we've seen so far, it is the story of how the Lord has revealed himself, how he's made his name known to the nations of the world, through his glorious, his powerful, his gracious deliverance of Israel from Pharaoh's bondage. The Lord has declared uh, to Pharaoh, we've seen, and to Egypt, for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, uh, that I might show you my power so that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. 
God raised up mighty King Pharaoh in order that God might show his power in his judgment. Look how awesome the Lord God is. See how he cares for, see how he's able to deliver his people from the bitter, deathly slavery that they were under. How God is able to bring his children to, to live with him and to be present in their midst. And as we saw last week, Moses and Israel in Exodus 15, they stand and they sing the Lord's praises on the far shores of the Red Sea. God, having redeemed them from slavery by the blood of the Passover lamb, to deliver them from Egypt through the waters of the Red Sea, in which waters Pharaoh and all of the Egyptian oppressors have been judged and have been destroyed. And for many Christians, the book of Exodus could just as well end there. God saves his people. God's people proclaim his praises and God's people know that God has delivered them from their slavery to Satan. But there are another 25 chapters that remain in the book of Exodus. What does living as the delivered, redeemed people of God, of the covenant Lord, what does it look like to live for him? What does it look like to live with him, with God graciously present in your midst? That is, I want to suggest, what the, the, the rest of the, the second half of the book of Exodus is all about. I, I've said, haven't I, numerous times as we've made our way through this book, how we're shown that, that God is not in the business of uh, freeing us from Satan's grasp by the blood of the Lord Jesus, simply so that we can live however we want. God redeems in the Lord Jesus Christ that we might live lives of worship, that we might serve him. And our problem at times is that we are just a little bit like that little boy whose uncle and aunt rescued him. We don't know how to rightly live in God's good and loving household. We are used, some of us, to, to living in an abusive home, used to the bitterness of Satan's mastery over us, and we tell ourselves the Lord is just the same. The Lord, no matter what it looks like, deep down he's got it in for us. Surely if God were really good, wouldn't he let me do whatever I wanted? If God really desired my best, wouldn't God just make my life always easy, always pleasant, always comfortable? Friend, if, if you've ever found yourself saying, Lord, why me? Lord, what have I done to deserve these circumstances? Lord, if I'm your child, what, what have I done wrong that my life has ended up like this? Friend, if you've heard people or you've said those words yourself, know that God your good Lord and Master, that he intentionally places you in circumstances that will test the genuineness of your faith so that he might show you that he is not like Pharaoh, that you're no longer under Satan's oppressive rule, no longer living in an abusive home, and that he is a God who can be trusted. Two points uh, this morning from 
uh, this passage. The first is this. God tests us that we might show obedience to his given word. God tests us that we might show obedience to his given word. Let's uh, be, read again verse 22 of chapter 15. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea uh, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. Uh, they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Uh, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, they named it Marah. Good idea. The, the water's bitter. Let's call the place bitter. Marah. Freed people here. The bodies of their enemies, they are lying lifeless on the shores of the Red Sea behind them. Uh, these people, they're following the, the, this, this, this pillar of a fiery cloud uh, as they enter the wilderness. But after three days, they've had, uh, they found no water to drink. And then the water that they do found it, it, it is undrinkable. It is bitter. And that word bitter, it is meant, as we read it, to stop us in our tracks. If you remember, Exodus chapter 1 uh, began with the people that God had made covenant promises to, knowing the faithfulness of God's blessing as they multiply into this great nation. And yet, we are told in Exodus 1.14, how Pharaoh and the Egyptians ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service. Bitter lives. What has now changed? Hasn't God delivered his people from bitterness, from bitter lives? Verse 24, and the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what shall we drink? <coughs> Mouths that had just days earlier been full of God's praises. The same mouths now full of complaint and discontent at their circumstances. It is true that the sin that stains God's people the most in the Old Testament is that ungrateful grumbling. And often it's the same in the church today. Grumbling and complaint is rife. It's as if we almost think we've got a right to grumble, to be discontent. And that is serious. That is deadly serious. These Israelites, they'd been in bitter captivity in Egypt. Their cry for help had come to the Lord, and God had delivered them from their captivity. But now, as rescued people, they are now in need again. But rather than call out to the Lord, who's shown himself to be ready, shown himself to be able to provide, they grumble. They grumble. Grumble to, to Moses. Will life with God basically be just the same as life in Egypt? Can they really trust that God will be there for them and that he is good? You see, it's as if, isn't it, the God who brought turmoil and destruction on Egypt in acts of decreation to show his greatness, the God who parted the waters of the sea and brought uh, those who stand before him, uh, stand stood against him rather, to ruin, it's as if this God who delivered them and had planned to deliver them had it all covered, apart from the fact that he'd forgotten to, to, uh, to put in their packed lunches. And so they withhold their trust from God. They put God on probation and they grumble. We, we, we will wait until there's more evidence that God is for us before we can trust him. And they grumble. 
And the point is, God's brought them to Mara. God has brought them to bitter waters purposefully. Brought them to this situation where they feel their need in order that God can test them. Not in a kind of, oh, pass this test and I will save you sort of way. No, no, God has already graciously uh, saved uh, these people, hasn't he? They are already his people. But to test, to prove their faith. God calls us into situations that call us to trust him, to persevere, to obey his word. And, and that is what's happening here. Miraculous, these people, uh, they're given water. The Lord turns the bitter sweet. Of course God can answer their needs. But God also gives them not just sweet water. He gives them his word. Verse 25, the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and he tested them, saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of uh, the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. As the people I've saved, you listen to and you obey my word, and I will prove myself to be your healer. You can trust me. Don't ask what right has God to bring me into bitter circumstances. God does not owe you comfortable, pleasant lives. Christian, this morning, whoever you are as you've come to church, whatever your, your life circumstances, you and I, we don't know better than God, do we? What is best, what is good for us? He orders the circumstances of your life and mine. He knows the path that he leads us on. He brings us at times into trials that he might test your obedience to his word. That we might obey and not grumble. God saves us in order that we might live under the rule of his word. To be a people who take him at his word and act in accordance with it at all times. And it's true, isn't it? It is in times of crisis that our obedience to God's word is tested. The bitter trial that you face, that isn't God necessarily saying, I, I'm angry with you. It's not God saying, look, I've forsaken you. You're on your own now. No, no, the bitter trial, an invitation from God to trust him. To obey his word. To see that he is good. We're told, remember Jesus' uh, parable of the soils. It's true, some Christians, they follow Jesus, but when trials come, when life gets hard, rather than ensuring that they lean into God's word, assured that their circumstances have been provided by God's hand, uh, some Christians, they, they step back, don't they, from God's command. Uh, they step back uh, from God's instruction, God's uh, direction, his law to, to feed, to, to refresh, to strengthen themselves in his word. They fail to trust that God knows best. Maybe it's absence from church. Maybe it's a reluctance to read God's word or to call out to him in prayer. Grumbling, discontent at God's ways. And God tests us that we might show obedience to his given word. But then secondly here, we, we, I want us to see that God provides for us in ways that make obedience possible. 
how God provides for us in ways that makes obedience possible. Uh, having uh, made the bitter waters of Mara sweet and then faithfully provided this oasis of refreshment at Elim, a few weeks uh, go by. Uh, chapter 16, verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel, oh, they grumble against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. Uh, and the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The grumbling, it, it continues, doesn't it? Discontent. Ultimately, uh, isn't it, it's not about our circumstances. No, no, discontent, grumbling, deep down, is all about our character, about our attitude. It's about our heart. Uh, that's why probably like uh, me you've met people and whatever their circumstances no matter how good life is uh, they will be people who will always find something to moan about uh, and you've probably met other people like I have who no matter how hard how trying their circumstances are they remain content knowing what God has promised uh, to provide for them in Christ remember Paul at the end of uh, Philippians he's writing to the church there he says I've learned I have learned, it's been a, a process in whatever situation I'm, I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, says Paul, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And that's why Paul can say, I can do all things through him, him who strengthens me. And, and, I don't know what you made of it as we read through Exodus 16. This grumbling is sheer revisionism, isn't it? This is the little boy rescued by his uncle from this abusive home. And he's sitting waiting for his aunt to bring him his healthy lunch. And he's grumbling. He's, he's ranting about how life used to be better when his dad beat him and when he slept on the floor with the dog. Uh, the complaint at Mara against Moses. Here, the complaint against Moses and Aaron, uh, the leaders of God's people. But, but ultimately, uh, as Moses and Aaron point out, what are we? Your grumbling isn't against us, but it's against the Lord. Grumbling against God. Because Israel do not trust that the Lord will prove himself to be a better master than Pharaoh. Meat pots, bread to the full back in Egypt. I want to suggest it's, it's unlikely any of us this morning would be so brash as to say, you know what, life was better under Satan's tyranny. Uh, and yet it is true, isn't it? In failing to trust God will provide as he's promised. In, in doubting that life in God's household is better than life in, in Satan's clutches. In doing things my way rather than God's way. We betray our distrust in God. What's the reality here? Well, just think, back in Egypt, Israel grumbled. They complained to Pharaoh about their lot. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, what did he do? He doubled their burden. Remember, bricks without straw? See the contrast here? Grumbling, discontent by the people. And yet the Lord, who is good, he graciously provides for them. God is not a master like Pharaoh. Bread from heaven, meat for supper. Daily provision. And yet provided in a way in which the people must listen to and obey God's instruction and where they must depend upon God's goodness and faithfulness to provide. 
manna, bread from heaven, provided each morning, but only enough for that day. And if any sought to gather for enough for two days, it would breed worms, it would stink, and it would melt. And then on the sixth day, they were to gather twice as much, enough for two days, as the Lord would not provide any new bread on the Sabbath day of rest. God's word, God's instruction for how he will provide for his people. Would his people trust him? Verse 20, they did not listen uh, to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning and the bread worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it just as much as uh, he could eat. But when the sun grew hot it melted just as God had said. And then on the seventh day they laid it aside, verse 24, till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it just as God had said. However, verse 27, on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather but they found none. They doubt God. They don't believe that he is God. Uh, that life in his house is God. They don't believe that life is good by God's good provision for them. He's rescued them to bless them. He's delivered them from slavery to serve and to worship him. Bread. We're hungry. We'd better store up more bread. More bread. We don't know when we're going to get our next morsel. And it perishes just as the Lord had said. And yet God faithfully provides for them the following day. Bread. Oh, bread will be there every day. We can ignore what God has said. We can gather it on the Sabbath. And there's nothing there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments? Look at verse 29. See what the Lord had given to his people. See, says the, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. And therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. The Lord is our divine giver. He doesn't just give his people bread here that we need. He also gives the rest that the people need. A Sabbath built into the creation order. Six days to labor, six days to collect all our bread. And one day as a Sabbath of rest from labor to be to the Lord, to be focused on him. And the point is here, if the Lord has given us a day of rest for him, if he's given us that good thing, then he will ensure we're able to obey him in keeping that day that he's given us. Can you see? Double provision on the sixth day that we might observe the Sabbath in obedience to what God has said. God provides in ways that enable us uh, to keep his word, to follow his command. Forty years later, as Israel stand on the verge of, of entering the promised land, uh, the Lord says to them in Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 2, they've been in the wilderness for 40 years, and God says, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He's led you so that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and he let you hunger and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. 
Friend, God places us in our circumstances in order that he might humble us, in order that he might test us. Not test to see whether you and I are able to fend for ourselves and provide for ourselves, but test whether in our circumstances we will look to him, listen to his word and obey it. God permitted Israel to be hungry, to see whether they would respond in faith to his commands. And it is, isn't it? It's the same for us as God's people now. God saves us. God leads us uh, in exodus from Satan's kingdom by the blood of the Lord Jesus. But God doesn't just lead us into completely comfortable pastures in which we will never, ever have to trust him. No, no, on the contrary, God purposefully leads us into circumstances, into situations of need where we will feel our weakness. Not to prove how great we are and how we can get through with gritted teeth, but rather to test our faith in his greatness, in his goodness. I wonder this morning, do we truly trust our God, our divine deliverer? Do we trust that he is great and he is good? And that he is great and he is good for us. For those he's brought to himself in Christ Jesus. You see, you and I, we will answer that question, not with a yes or a no this morning, cheap words, but rather we'll answer that question with our actions, with our decisions, with what we do, what we don't do. The issue in Exodus 16 is whether God's people can trust his goodness. Will God provide for me in the ways he's commanded, or must I resort to my own ingenuity and ignore his word? Will, I, will God provide my daily bread? Will he provide all my temporal needs? What about us? Will I trust that God will provide me with, with friends and family relationships if in obedience to him I keep his Sabbath and say no just to, to meeting up to socialise with friends and family and ignore that Sabbath command I've got to meet with others to ensure I'm popular to ensure I'm uh, yeah, accepted can I trust God will honour my labours in the other six days of the week so I can observe a day of rest for him a day of rest that he verse 29 has graciously given me as a gift or to get on do I in order to pass the exams in order to, to to do well at work to get the promotion to live the good life to be blessed do I need to toil for God seven days and reject his word what about if I'm here this morning and I desire to be married can I trust that God will will provide a godly believing partner when there doesn't seem to be anybody about anyone suitable or, or, or should I opt for the nice, for the respectable, for the fun unbeliever? Can I trust that God will provide for me and for mine? That I can therefore generously give to others, give to his church? Or must I doubt God's goodness to provide for me in the cost of living crisis? It is in the everyday practical priorities and decisions that you and I will make this week. God's provided for all we need in order to obey his word. If only we'll trust him. Do I trust the goodness of the God who's rescued me? Rescued me from Satan's grasp? Do I trust him so that I habitually call out to him in prayer? He's the one who will provide my needs. 
Do I make uh, praying with his people a priority, knowing that if I'm going to receive any good thing, it will only be from God's good hand, whether that's food or family or forgiveness, or when I feel my weakness, when I recognise my need, must I grumble and try to get by in my own strength? Complain that my lot is hard, and really there's none who will provide who will keep. Christians, we, we must not, we, we need not live as though we are still waiting to be, li- to be delivered from the deathly oppression and the bondage of Satan. In Christ, the Lord Jesus, and not Pharaoh, is our master. He is good. We can trust him. He's called you. God has called you to himself by the blood of his own son to display to the world, to, to prince and palaces and powers, how great and good a God he is. In closing, as Paul writes to the church in Rome, Paul calls this life with God the obedience of faith. Paul is, God's sent Paul in order that he may call the nations to this obedience of faith. In Christ Jesus, God has rescued us that we might trust him. That we might trust his goodness. And so humbly, joyfully obey his commands and live under his provision. So may it be. Amen.